Good morning, church. Um, sorry, I was a. I'm weird. This is new to me. I haven't been here in, in a minute, and it's uh, it's so good to know that I am spending time with you this morning, and that through the screen and through all the wonders that are the internet, that we are spending time uh, together this morning. And perhaps you've forgotten, it's been a minute since I've been up here. Uh, my name is, is Mitch Fierro, and I'm one of the shepherds on staff here at uh, Fullerton Free. And, and this morning, uh, we're going to be spending all of our time going through uh, James chapter 2, as you just heard. Now, there, there is this, this rumor that, that's going around that whenever there's a particularly diffi- difficult portion of Scripture, um, that Darren likes to hand that off to somebody else instead of tackling it himself. And I just want to stand here this morning and to say um, that's absolutely true uh, because we have about 35 minutes to go through, like I said, all, all, all of James chapter two. And it would be impossible to really dig into all the theology and the doctrine and the things that, that James is, is saying to this, this church in Jerusalem. So I'm going to invite you um, to, to, to look at um, James chapter two as if we were looking at, at, at a Google map. So when you're looking at a Google map, you have the opportunity to kind of click the plus and to zoom in and to get really close and to see all of the streets and the landmarks and the parks and the schools. And you can even click the satellite view to see where all the trees are and to see where the neighborhoods are. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to kind of click that negative with me. And to back up from the, the, the book of, of James, or excuse me, back up from the chapter, and to see just a few of the intersecting major roads, um, the major themes that, 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 that I've seen happen throughout the book of James, or excuse me, this particular chapter too. Now, if you are a student of the Bible and you feel like you're getting gypped this morning, I, I do want to share a, a resource with you um, because we do have some teachings available um, where, where some of our teachers have gone through in detail, in depth, um, James chapter 2. Um, if you didn't know this, we have a phenomenal group of, of teachers that are part of our, our, our women's ministry. And if you go on our website, you click women's ministry on the tab, and then you click the pursuit button uh, to go to their blog. Um, our very own Kristen Hartman and Katie Smiley do an amazing job of unpacking this chapter in two separate teachings. And so if you want a little more than, than what um, I'm going to share this morning, I invite you to check that out um, and, and to use that as a resource, especially as we're in quarantine, maybe we have a little bit more time um, to spend in, in the text. And so again, uh, that's the website women's ministry pursuit blog, or maybe we can figure out a way to link those to this sermon. But I I invite you to take advantage of that resource. Now, let's pray because we have a lot to tackle this morning. Lord Jesus, we invite you, Lord, no matter where we find ourselves, whether it be in our homes, in our backyards, over a cup of coffee, um, to sit with us as we spend time in the text this morning. Lord, would it be your spirit that speaks to us, that teaches us and guides us through this chapter? Lord, glorify yourself through your word. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't, I don't think I've mentioned this before, um, but I am the oldest of, of three brothers. Um, I have two younger brothers, and my first, it's always confusing, I never know how to say this, my first youngest brother 
uh, Vince would be, I guess, the middle brother. His name is Vince. And then I have a youngest brother whose name is, is um, I'm forgetting his name. No, it's Ray. Um, and me and Vince are, are, are four years apart from each other. And, and me and Ray are, are 11 years apart from each other. And that's, that's a whole other story that we could talk about later. But, but to say that, um, Vince and I, since we were closer in age, we had um, a similar life experience growing up. And when I was about a junior in high school, uh, Vince was finishing up uh, junior high. And the, the, the wave of Pokemon hit and my brother um, got super into it. And I've I'm, I'm kind of always been a big kid, and I still am today. I, I kind of got into it a little bit, and I bought one of the video games, and, and I, I bought some of the cards. But my brother Vince, like, he got super into Pokemon. Like, he would wake up early every morning before school at 7 o'clock to watch the cartoon. Um, he, he bought all the games and played them. He collected the cards. He knew everything about Pokemon. My, it's I can, it's easy to say that my brother was passionate about Pokemon. And now I have my own kids. I left out a funny story and I really want to say this. My brother was so passionate about Pokemon uh, that his entire eighth grade year of school, he dressed up like the character Brock. Like every day to school. So like my brother was like into cosplay like way before uh, it's cool like it is now. So like if you're watching this, Vince, props to you for, for being cool. But like he wore the orange t-shirt, if you know who I'm talking about. He wore the orange t-shirt and the cargo pants and the vest and he had the spiky haircut. Um, and, and he was Brock. And I say that because he was so passionate about it that everything he did was an example of this passion that he had for Pokemon. Now as his brother... I was able to observe that as through the time that I spent with him, through my relationship with him, through my proximity to him, so that now, as my kids are into Pokemon, and because of COVID, they've been able to watch all the cartoons in chronological order, and they're, they, they're into the games, and they play the games, and they collect the cards. Um, I'm able to take what I learned from being in proximity to my brother and to share that knowledge and wisdom with my kids. Because I was able to glean from Vince what he was passionate about and transfer that knowledge to my kids. And like it's been said already, James is the brother of Jesus, meaning that he intimately knew him, that he spent time with him, that he had proximity to him. One might be able to confidently say that wherever James, excuse me, where Jesus went, James may have went on some of those travels and seen the things that Jesus has done, heard the words that Jesus had said. James knew the things, the people of who Jesus was passionate about. And as we take a step back and we look at, like I said, James chapter two, through that lens of the, the, the major intersecting roads, we see James reminding a young Jewish Christian church who Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, as James says in, chapter, in verse one, he reminds his church who Jesus is passionate about. Because what he's seeing in the actions of this church does not reflect the heart of their Lord Jesus. 
Now, before we, we, we go down that path, I, I do want to address uh, what, what, what could be one of the theological elephants in the room. It might be a, a point of tension for people when, when they hear or, or read James chapter 2. And so uh, we're kind of going to pull a little Tarantino thing this morning. And we're actually going to start towards the end of the chapter. And then we'll jump back uh, to verse 1 in a few minutes. And so I'm going to invite you uh, to open your Bibles, open your, your James journal. Uh, to chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 17 to 20. So verse 17, James says, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And I think that, or I don't think, I I know the verse that people get caught up in is that verse 17, where James says, by faith, excuse me, James says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And if you're a student of the Bible, or maybe you've just been following along with our teaching series. We were in Ephesians uh, a few months ago. And you might remember Paul saying um, in chapter 7, or excuse me, in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2, uh, Paul says, So that in the coming ages he, God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that one may boast. So if you spend time in the Bible, you might be asking yourself the question, so, so which is it? Are, are we saved by grace, as Paul says? Or is faith alone not enough to ensure our salvation? That, that, that we need to have works to partner with it. And I think Paul brings a little bit more clarity to what he's talking about in Ephesians when, when we look about what he says, when we look at what he says in Romans chapter three, when he says that for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Read that one more time. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So when Paul is talking about being justified and being saved and being made right with God through faith and not from works, Paul is referring to the works of the law, meaning that there is no checklist of things that you can do or that I can do or that this church that James is writing to, that they can do in order to assure their salvation or their justification. But here in chapter 2, when James is talking about works, he's not talking about something that we do in order to earn our faith. He's not talking about a checklist that we might have to assure that, that we are saved. Rather, he's talking about the very works of love that a life of faith produces. If you have an ESV study Bible, I love how how it says this in the the chapter 17 comment. Uh, It says that the very works that James is talking about are the consequence of our justification through faith. 
Or Augustine says it like this. Paul said that a man is justified through faith without the working of the law, but not without the works of which James speaks. Let me read that one more time. Paul said that a man is justified through faith without the working of the law, but not without the works of which James speaks. See, what James is talking about here is not one existing without the other. It's not that you can't be saved by by faith alone, and it's not that, that you earn your salvation through your works alone. Rather, the disciple whose heart that has been transformed by Jesus and calls him Lord will undoubtedly produce works of love. And as we'll see in the first parts of, 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 chapter, of this chapter in James, he's reminding this young church in Jerusalem. He's reminding them to check their hearts. Because what he's observing or, or, or what he's hearing about this church does not reflect the heart that calls Jesus the Lord of glory. So now let's look at verse one. We'll stop it at verse seven. James says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who were poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who, excuse me, are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? So the text is telling us that, um, that there is an assembly of believers. And into the assembly enters a rich man with fine clothes and a flashy ring. And at the same time, um, or around the same time, a poor man in, in shabby clothes enters. Perhaps the rich man was curious. Perhaps he had, had heard about um, this Jesus and, and heard about the, the church. And so he shows up um, just, just to see what's going on. And perhaps the poor man had heard of the generosity of the early church. Maybe some of the reputation that that we read about in Acts has spread throughout the community. And as a poor person, he he shows up because he has need. But for whatever reason, um, both the two of these men, they, they, they enter into the assembly. And of course, it's important that they're there. But I think the most important thing that we read in this first part of chapter two is how the assembly, how the church responds to their attendance. To quickly summarize, it says that the rich man is given a a, a place of honor and the poor man a place of dishonor. And this is the issue that James is addressing with this church. This issue of the assembly or the church showing partiality to one man over another. 
One Bible teacher says that the sin of partiality is making a value judgment on the people around us based on unbiblical criteria. Essentially, that that when we make a value judgment on the life of another human being based on our own preference or the world's standards, that very judgment is sin. And I don't know if this needs to be said, but but the sin of partiality is not limited to to the classism uh, that we see here in, in James's example. But we clearly see the sin of partiality in, 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 raci- in, excuse me, in racism and culturalism and nationalism. It, the sin of partiality creeps its way into our politics. It creeps its way into how we see um, the people of other nations, how we treat our neighbors, and how we interact with people who have orientations other than ours. And I want to say this. As, as a Bible teacher, as a shepherd here, that none of us are immune to the sin of partiality. And in, in many ways, over the last few weeks, I've had to examine my own life. I've had to examine the people that, that I choose to come in contact with, the people that, that I choose to give value to. And I've had to recognize that in some ways I have made judgment calls not based off the standards that that Christ has set for us, but rather the world standards, the standards of my own fears and the standards of my own comfortability. And as James is leading this young church, he has to address this sin of partiality that he sees. Let's read, continue reading in verse eight. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are excuse me, and convicted by the law as transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are able, excuse me, who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. For judgment without mercy is to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James is, is dead serious when he's talking about the sin of partiality. As we just read, he, he likens it to the sin of adultery or murder. In the Old Testament, those were sins that, that, that you were able to be judged to death. You see, guys, the, the sin of partiality is, is in direct opposition to love. By showing partiality to the rich man in fine clothes and the gold ring, he doesn't just bring honor to this rich man by giving him a prominent seat or giving him the attention that he he is looking for, but he publicly dishonors the poor man. And this is a problem for James because time after time in the gospels, 
we see he saw firsthand Jesus interact with the poor, the widow, the prostitute, the foreigner, the tax collector, the leper. And he's heard how Jesus talks to them. Like how in Luke 6, uh, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You see, guys, it is clear and obvious to James by what he has observed in the life of Jesus, the words that he has heard his brother say, who he, Jesus, the Lord of glory, has come to rescue. And with a heart of compassion, Jesus always says to the poor and to the marginalized, if you come to me, I have a place of comfort. I have a position of royal status for you. Now, of course, Jesus will ultimately judge the poor and the marginalized who come to him and profess him as Lord. He will judge the the, the fruits of their very faith. But what Jesus will never do and what we never see Jesus do is judge them because they are poor and marginalized church. So neither should we. Let's look at verse 14. James continues, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So again, we, we, we see an interaction with someone who is, is poor um, and, and shabby. In the first interaction um, in the assembly, uh, we, we see them interact with what can assumed to be um, guests. The, the rich man had, had wandered in for some reason. The poor man was there for some reason at the assembly. Um, but, but here... It says that the assembly is interacting with a brother or sister. So, so this is someone who is a professing follower of Jesus, a brother or sister in the faith. And James says that they are poorly clothed and lacking daily food. What's interesting is that he, he doesn't say that the, um, that the, the, the poor person in the second instance, um, that they, they, they are asking for clothes and food. He's saying that it's, it's essentially it's obvious that they need clothes and food. And their response is that someone within the assembly, verse 16 says, go in peace, be warm and filled. And essentially, it would be as if somebody walked in this morning who is poor and shabby and in need of clothing and food. And I said, thanks for being here, but go ahead and leave and just know that we're praying for you. And I can imagine James being frustrated at this point, asking himself, asking this church, why would you send away someone without the things that they need if you clearly have the ability to meet their needs? Just as, if he, just as he, he observed um, the, the sin of partiality, we also see James addressing 
the, the, the flippancy, the lack of care for the poor and marginalized of this church. And brings us back to verse 17. I'll read it again. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You see, like the proximity I had with my brother uh, and, and his obsession with Pokemon, the relation and proximity that, that Jesus, excuse me, that James had with Jesus made it clear to him, it made it clear to the people who were following Jesus who the church, who the believer, who the disciple is called to care for. And for my brother dressing like a Pokemon character every day, religiously watching the cartoons, collecting all things Pokemon, the things that he did were the works and the evidence of his faith and love for Pokemon. Now, I'm not trying to put my brother on blast, and I know this is kind of a silly illustration, but, but what James is saying here is that the works that I've seen you produce in speaking to this church, the works that you're producing when you interact with the stranger, when you interact with the neighbor, the way that you show favoritism and partiality to those withstanding and ignore those without the way you ignore the needs of, of your, your, your brother or your, or your sister. Your actions are not in alignment with the heart of someone who professes Jesus to be the Lord of glory. And in verse 18, we see James call out, um, Jesus call out this young church. I'm sorry, James call out this church. I think we'll just read the rest from here. No, I'll read the 20, sorry. Um, But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Again, James is saying that, that it's not okay um, to say that we simply believe well, while still producing and operating, creating works in our lives that are in accordance with the world's standards. Because in verse 19, he says, oh, 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 you believe and you think that's enough? Well, well even the demons believe. And in an attempt to remind this church, to remind us that a mature faith is fruitful and marked by fruitful works, and that is living a faith that is connected and rooted to our Lord Jesus and rooted and connected to God's word. Because jumping down to the end of verse 26, it says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. A a fruitless faith. A faith that says belief is enough. According to James, is dead faith. 
He likens it in, in, at the end of, of, of the chapter in verse 26. He says that a body apart from the spirit is dead. It, it is lifeless. It can produce nothing, let alone a good thing. So that also faith apart from works, works of love, outworkings of our heart that is rooted in Jesus and rooted in God's word, a life without those works, James says, is dead. And for whatever reason, something happened in the life of this church. They went from being a a church that we read about in in the book of Acts that was generous. And it said that they they sold their belongings and that they they all pulled their their money together and that no one had a need. Which that might have been why these poor people were even showing up to this church. Because they had heard of the kindness and the generosity of this church. And they were showing up because they had needs. But something happened to this church. And this church began to become partial to people of, of, of influence, it began to become fruitless, no longer maturing in their faith. And I believe it's James's desire to not just beat up this church. He doesn't just want to call out their sin, but as a shepherd and as the pastor of, of, of this church in Jerusalem, James longs for them to be a church that is fruitful and and, and generous and kind and impartial. A church that that is a beacon of light to their community. So this morning, as, as we look and reflect on what James is calling out in this church, we have to remember that this letter isn't just for this early church in Jerusalem. That as, as it's found itself in scripture, that as we read this text together, that this, this addressing of, of sin and fruitlessness is for us as well. As I spent time in this, this, this text throughout the week, um, in many ways, it felt like I was reading um, a, a one, of, one of the letters in, in Revelation where it says where the, where the Lord Jesus is, is addressing some of the churches. And James' desire to see this church fruitful, to see this church useful, to see this church having life, he has to call out the sin, the fruitlessness, the evil works that he's identified in this church. This is, a heavy, this is a heavy portion of scripture. It's a heavy text because it's easy to, to teach something like this and apply it to other people. Or it's easy to hear something like this and to say, but I'm, but I'm impartial. I don't show partiality to people. I'm, I'm, I'm generous. I kind, I'm kind. I, I, I volunteer. I, I give to the poor. And, that, and that's great if that is you. But church, in this moment that we find ourselves in, whether that be conversations of injustice, whether that be the poor and the marginalized that are experiencing difficulty through, through COVID-19, the Spirit is asking us and inviting us into the fruitful labor of our salvation.
So this morning, as, as you hear these verses, I ask you to invite, or excuse me, to examine these areas of your life. And just how I had to ask myself, I invite you to ask yourself, have, have I become partial to the people around me? And it, it can be subtle. Have, have, I, have I adopted the world's values and judgment? And you don't have to have an answer right now. This, this, this takes time and processing and prayer. Um, but, but if there is something that comes to mind, I, I invite you, like me, to repent and to lay that sin at the foot of Jesus. Or perhaps you, you've become like the assembly when they interact with a brother and sister. Crossing your arms, being cool with where you're at, just knowing that your belief and your faith is simply enough. I want to examine, I want to ask you to examine your own heart. I invite you to put the love that you say that you have to Je- for Jesus, I invite you to put that love to work by caring for and coming alongside the marginalized and the poor. And again, church, of course, it is not, by the, through, it is not through these works that we are saved, but rather it is through these works that our guests, that our visitors, that our neighbors, that the poor and the marginalized will know that we are saved. Church, that we might be a beacon of light, a signal of hope to those around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that your Holy Spirit do the work. If there is anywhere in in this, this chapter that is speaking to us personally, may it be, Lord, your spirit that convicts us. May it be your spirit that stirs us. May it be your spirit that calls us into change, that calls us into action. God, we thank you that you love us so much, that you care for us and you guide us and you direct us to what it means to actually look and to live like you. So may we be receptive to that leading this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.